Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Ken Wyrock, Matthew Betts, and Matt Okada. Hello and welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. We are back. And we have a very special guest today, and I don't know how this happened, the fates somehow, but our guest is Andy Holloway, host of the Fantasy Footballers podcast. Today, episode 55. Uh, 55! Yeah, it, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> But somehow, we booked Andy, and it just happened to fall on episode 55. If you don't know what we're talking about, then you don't listen to the Fantasy Footballers podcast. And if you don't listen to the Fantasy Footballers podcast, then shame on you. Uh, But maybe we can help rectify that problem by uh, giving you a taste today through Andy. So, Andy, thank you for coming on. Welcome. Uh, If you could, give us a quick rundown of who you are, what you guys do over there, and how you got to where you are now with the fantasy footballers. That is just uh, destiny, I guess, to be 55. It is. Um, pretty funny. But no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, one of the three amigos over here at the Fantasy Footballers Podcast. And, um, you know, if you've never heard of us before, you can visualize three dads um, stuck in a room together. Talking fantasy, you know, our show is built around uh, the community of fantasy football. We want to win. We want to have fun. Uh, that's what the show has been about for four years. And, um, yeah, how, how we got here, sometimes I don't, I don't know the answer to that question in a, in a way because <laughs> I guess we just uh, we came in at the right time. There, there's that apex of podcasting growth and fantasy football growth and you know we when we started we wanted to build a show that was year round because we were obsessed with torturing uh, all of our other friends and family with fantasy football talk that this was going to be an outlet for us this was going to be something that we thought other people would want to consume and so we actually launched our show in probably the what seemed like the worst time of year to launch a show i think it was february and, um, you know, the Super Bowl had just ended. Uh, people are walking away from their televisions. And we started the show then and, and uh, built an audience in the offseason. And somehow, some way, we get to do this all the time. So we're, we're very thankful for that. Yeah. And we're all thankful for you guys. <laughs> uh, I know Betts and I came up through the fantasy circles, if you will, uh, as writers for the Fantasy Footballers website. So, and Betts is still there, put turning out content. Um, oh, I'm still there. Yeah. I'm still there. I'll be there for a while. All <laughs> kinds of goodies. Delivering wonderful uh, UDK uh, proprietary content as well, Mr. Betts. Ah. That's an excellent transition there, Andy. <laughs> Listen, Andy is the, the professional host of one of the most professional podcasts that there is, Betts, so we should have expected such transitions. <laughs> I expect nothing less. Yeah, the UDK, the ultimate draft kit from the fantasy fo- footballers, we are actually partnering with the UDK uh, the red shirts are so you can get a deal on that ultimate draft kit and listen there is not a better draft kit in the entire industry this is just factual statements you need to go and check out their website uh, you can actually use redshirtsudk.com to get there and then use code redshirts and get 10 percent off so that's a win for you guys 
but it is chock full of incredible stuff that will help you dominate your drafts. There are all the ballers, projections, rankings, sleepers, breakouts, busts, some of which we'll probably talk about because uh, that's actually the topic of today's show, breakouts and busts. Also, Matt Harmon's reception perception, if you've never seen that, one of the coolest tools in the industry really gives you a great breakdown of wide receivers and what you can expect from them. So go check that out. They put in a lot of work on it. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to partner with them on it. Quickly before we get into the show, I have one article announcement for our website because I wrote it. That is right. The Kyler oh Murray article is going up tonight. <laughs> it is edited. It is completed. It just needs the final touches and it is going live. So prepare to have your eyeballs blasted by, I don't know, <laughs> 2,000 words on Kyler Murray? Oh, not Not enough. Not enough, I don't think. Oh, no. As I was reading that article and, and editing it, Okada, I... I couldn't stop hearing your voice and replaying all the podcasts that we had done where you reference all these statistics. And I think at this point, I'm just going to be having dreams of Kyler Murray just rushing for <laughs> 500 yards and throwing for 4,000 yards and just being a fantasy superstar. So I don't know. You might have brainwashed me when I was reading that article. Yeah, could very well be. Also, Andy, the only reason I was able to fit it into 2,000 words is because I speak about 2,000 words per episode on Kyler Murray. <laughs> so, you know, it was the you, content's been used. Oh, You picked the right time to debut the article because you're not going to get a complaint out of an Arizona Cardinal fan on anything and everything you want to we, – we literally around the office, like unabashedly so. I mean, we're Cardinals fans. We grew up here. We grew up with the doldrums of Arizona. We grew up with Josh McCown, 2002 quarterback, uh, just retired. And I remember the, the first game I ever went to at Sun Devil Stadium with my dad. Josh McCown was the quarterback. And here we are coming off this horrible year. Thank goodness for fantasy football to distract us. And, mm. and and here's Kyler Murray to save the day in the office. If there is any sort of hype, I don't care if it's real or fake. If there is Kyler Murray hype, all three chairs roll in the same direction. Uh, Jason, Mike, and myself, we will watch it. We will, we will smile. We will laugh. We will cry. We will do whatever it takes to get jacked up for Kyler Murray. So I am. I cannot wait to digest this article. Oh, it's 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 pretty hot. I'm not gonna lie. All right, we will probably not touch on Kyler Murray again incredibly for this whole podcast so that's all you get guys sorry <laughs> uh but check out the article and just as a heads up to the listeners we are recording this podcast on Thursday the 20th for scheduling reasons and uh, Matthew Betts is recording it from the passenger seat of a moving car on a road trip <laughs> we do not let anything stop us from getting you episodes so I hope you all appreciate the dedication there but uh, let's get into some news I got great news, guys. Oh, oh news. Hey, news, 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 All right, there is slightly less news today than there was the last time we were here. So finally, the June-July football news drought <laughs> is affecting the show. Uh, so here, here's what we got. We got a couple guys that are being named from camp reports, basically as number two receivers for their teams. Both names are kind of interesting. Dante Moncrief, the exact quote for him is, looks like a slam dunk number two receiver, which is an interesting way of putting it. And Marquez Valdez-Scantlin, as Kent would say. But his is a little bit less sure. It probably is a number two receiver in Green Bay. So uh, let's put it this way. Andy, I'll throw it to you. 
Do you have interest in either of these guys? And if you do, which one do you prefer in drafts? <laughs> you know, that's an interesting question. I think I lean the Moncrief side, although I would define his career as opposite of a slam dunk analogy as possible. <laughs> um, I, but I like the opportunity. I mean, just such a, a, a target vacuum. Um, you know, so many vacated targets, I mean, in, in Pittsburgh. And so Moncrief has an opportunity. We know Big Ben loves to throw the ball deep. We know that Moncrief can run deep and be somewhat randomly productive with Blake Bortles. So I think if Moncrief comes in as the established veteran and you've got the unknowns of James Washington and Deontay Johnson and, you know, Vance McDonald, I, I, why not Moncrief is kind of my outlook there. Whereas, you know, Marquez, he's interesting. So is Allison. So was Equinemius St. Brown at certain times last year. I, I have a, I guess, more of a concern that if if a player draws the ire of their quarterback, if, if MVS runs the wrong route or, or has a bad game, do we lose him for a couple of games because Rodgers can pivot elsewhere or over-target uh, Devontae Adams? So I, I guess I lean the Moncrief side um, just a little bit. Bess, agree or disagree? Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, Andy kind of talked about it there with Antonio Brown leaving. I mean, Antonio Brown was obviously super productive with Big Ben and leaves behind a lot of touchdown opportunities. And historically, throughout Moncrief's career, if there's one thing he is good at, it is finding the end zone, um, slapping the base in the end zone with his touchdown dance. So uh, I love that opportunity there. If they get down close to the, to the end zone there, be able to find him there. I think he can produce... A little bit. I think it's going to be splashy, so I wouldn't really count on this news as a slam dunk. I would say maybe more of a half-court shot, honestly. <laughs> um, but I do think he has potential there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely going to have to agree with both of you guys. I lean the Moncrief side. I, with Deontay Johnson and uh, James Washington, I don't think either of those guys honestly has a great shot at, at stepping up to a number two role this year. I think that some of, but maybe one of them, maybe both of them could do something at some point. I don't even think it would probably be as a number two. It might be more just a deep threat guy or a third receiver if they can support three, which I don't know if they can. But Moncrief, I feel like a little bit more profiles of the guy who could be an actual number two for Roethlisberger. So I kind of like that. And I have been and continue to be a big, big Geronimo Allison truther. So I do not even believe for a second that Marquez will be the number two. I don't even know if he'll be the number three, um, but I'm not super interested. In fact, if I recall correctly in that, that crazy offseason article with uh, the Rodgers versus McCarthy stuff that dropped, there was something in there about how Rodgers really didn't like Marquez Valdez-Scantling for some reason. He did some stuff wrong and got on his bad side. I don't know if that's healed by now. Are we are we sure Rodgers likes anybody? Does he, is he uh, a no. fan of any other humans? Uh, on the earth. No, I mean it, himself. It does not himself. seem like it at this point. Mm. <laughs> he does like himself. I think it's him and Devante versus the world. Yes, pretty much. I don't know if uh, I don't know if he's ever been loved or loved. Sorry. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for the receiver guys. One other little bit of news: tight end out of the New York Jets, Chris Herndon. He is facing a two-game suspension. Now, Herndon was not, you know, breaking anybody's. No, I won't say breaking anybody's top 12. He was probably squeaking into some people's top 12. But he wasn't on anybody's radar as an incredible uh, lock-and-load starter. So I don't know how much a two-game suspension necessarily affects that. 
Do either of you guys feel like maybe he was draftable and now he's not? Or is she'll just kind of lower his price and make him even better as a late shot? Bets, what do you think? I feel like the two-game suspension probably takes him off my draft board. I mean, he was, like you said, maybe a back-end, tight-end wand. Uh, more of a free option in drafts. You can probably get him in the last two to three rounds. Um, and so if you like him, yeah, sure, take a shot. But if he's out for two games, you might as well not waste the draft pick, especially if you're drafting in mid-August, um, and wait to see what happens with the suspension and then wait to pick him up if you're still excited about him because I guarantee you he'll be available after week one uh, on the waiver wire. Definitely. Andy, do you have any interest in drafting Herndon? Well, just not anymore, no. I, You know, he was in that deep sleeper tight end category, somebody that you could take with your last pick or second to last pick and probably plug and play for his four catches a game. But at this point, you know, he's not somebody you draft and hold by any means. So yeah, he just, he just made the decision easier for us. Agreed. If you have, I don't know what, uh, what sites you guys all use out there, but if you have one of those little watch list flag buttons, just uh. click it on Chris Herndon. <laughs> After he comes back, see what he does, you know, in week yep. three. Maybe he's going to be worth a pickup, but don't draft him. All right, that is it for the news. We are going to hit the main uh, chunk of this show, which is a breakouts and busts. So we're going to go ahead and start with the breakouts. Assault team, stand by. We may have a breakout. Roger that. Uh, just so everyone knows, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I found it on YouTube. <laughs> Which is typically how I find drops. <laughs> I don't know what it's from, but I thought it was fitting. All right. Completely transparent here on the red shirts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is what a breakout basically is going to mean for me and hopefully for you guys as well. Is somebody who ideally, well, they could have been a rookie last year, but basically they're young. Uh, still have a chance to sort of step into what they could be as a full-fledged NFL starter. Uh, who has been possibly held back by something, we'll find out what, and through some changing situation or just the fact that they're maturing into their career, might step up and be a big impact fantasy contributor for you this year. So, we all are looking at running backs and wide receivers here, which was not dictated in the rules, but apparently that's what we want to go with, which is fair because quarterbacks are what they are and all the tight ends suck. Uh... <laughs> Betts, why don't you kick us off with your first breakout? I would absolutely love to. So, Okada, you know how much I love this guy. Mm. And you know how much I was excited for this guy last season. And that is Rashad Penny. Last season was obviously not what we had hoped it would be, us Penny truthers coming into the season. But when you look at how his 2018 started, obviously he had the hand injury at the end of training camp. And I think that really set him back as far as a quick start to his NFL career. And Chris Carson kind of just took control of the backfield, and Rashad Penny couldn't really break through after that. So when you look at what the 2018 backfield did in terms of splitting up the, the touches, Carson was obviously the, getting the lion's share of the work. But one thing that's really important to note here is Mike Davis had a ton of opportunity last year as a backup there in Seattle. Um, 112 rush attempts for Davis and 42 targets that are now up for grabs. When you look at those 154 opportunities, I don't know how the vast majority of those don't go to Rashad Penny, who is playing in one of the most run-heavy offenses in the NFL. Um, I love Rashad Penny's talent. I hope that he can kind of split the backfield there with Chris Carson because I don't see it being a situation where Carson is uh, a backup anymore to Rashad Penny. I think he's earned at least a decent amount of that backfield. So my breakout here with Rashad Penny is 
Um, I'm hopeful that he can kind of get up into RB2 territory. I'm definitely tempering expectations, but if something would happen to Chris Carson as far as injury, watch out because that guy is an RB1 locked and loaded. Andy, I'm curious, not just your thoughts on Penny overall, but right now, according to Fantasy Football Calculator, from an ADP standpoint, Carson is going at the 406 and Penny is going at the 611. I'm interested to know which of those guys you would want maybe overall if you like Penny more, but specifically at those draft prices, does that change your decision? Yeah, I mean, I don't really disagree with anything Beth said. I I will take Carson in, in that situation, the 406 versus the 611. Um, I, I still think that makes Carson a value in the fourth round. Um, I agree that Penny has a great opportunity. I mean, the draft capital that they spent on him kind of assures us that we're not just grasping at like, uh, you know, some hype train, you know, you saw it on the field in, in spurts last year, but, uh, you know, barring any further negative Carson injury news, he's locked and loaded in a high volume situation. I think he'll get the first crack at most opportunities. I think he'll get the first crack at those red zone opportunities. So I think both guys are probably values in the draft, but I would lean the Carson direction if I had to choose. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I'm also on board with Betts' breakout call. I definitely like Penny, and I don't think he, and I think Betts kind of made this point, he doesn't even have to necessarily take Carson's job to be valuable. This team, they ran the ball 33 times a game last year. The only team that ran it more was the Ravens, and that that is because it includes those quarterback rushes. If you just took running backs, I believe the Seahawks might be number one. So there's a lot of work to go around there. It's highly possible both these guys could have some value. That's what's awesome about Penny is that you end up in a situation where he can fully break out and you don't have to count on Carson failing you in any way, shape, or form. I think both players, like you said, have great opportunities in this offense. And I do, you know, this might be one of those you-don't-have-to-pick situations. Yep. Either one's a win. 100%. All right. I'm going to take the next one, and then we'll pass it to Andy. So in classic Okada fashion, I've decided to cheat and go with a little handful. So I have said running backs with new coaching regimes. Oh man. Now, this is not this is not all the new coaching regimes because one of them actually is one of my busts, spoiler alert. But specifically the coaching regimes that are getting new youthful talent uh in the head coach position. So I'm looking Joe Mixon Kenyon Drake, and kind of David Johnson with a re-breakout. You can't really count him as an actual breakout, but sort of a re-breakout after a, a down year that wasn't as down as you may think it was from an overall perspective, but just on a weekly basis, it, it wasn't great. There was no David Johnson singing on the Fantasy Footballer podcast, <laughs> which was sad for everybody. It was painful, yeah. Yeah, but uh, listen... Mixon was the RB10 last year in PPR, so that's already pretty high. In order to break out, really, I think he probably has to become one of the elite running backs, but I think he legitimately has a good chance of doing that. Last year when he was the RB10, that team was bottom half of the league in scoring and bottom 10 in yards. They were not good. Marvin Lewis is not good. I'm sorry. He's now gone. We're bringing in Zach Taylor, who comes from the Rams system and has said and I've said this before on the podcast in reference to Tyler Boyd, that he is going to bring over McVay's playbook. And I don't know if you've been watching football for the last few years, but Sean McVay has had a very productive running back with a elite dual threat talent in Todd Gurley. I think that Joe Mixon slides pretty much right into that kind of role. He is very, very good in both aspects of the game. Actually, 
was kind of coming out of the draft known more for his pass catching ability, but he's very, very good uh, between the tackles as well. So he's a very well, well-rounded talent. He has the dual threat ability that you have to have to be one of the elite, elite guys. So I think there's a, a decent chance that Mixon finds his way into, let's say, the top five or six range. I don't think he's necessarily going to jump those elite four that are there right now, but there's even a chance he does that or at least gets into their tier. Anybody have any strong feelings about this idea? Well, I, I can jump in for a second. I mean, his situation is is unique, and it's similar in, in a way to David Johnson where, look, these are the guys that are going to carry the load. And so any any positive trajectory in the offensive scheme, uh, more plays uh, on the offensive side of the ball, how do they not benefit a player like Joe Mixon who has immense talent, dual threat ability, like you said, I think they're in very similar situations where, look, they were productive. Now, they may have been disappointing. Uh, at least David Johnson was very disappointing relative to where you drafted him last year, but he was still a top 12 guy. So I I fully buy into the, uh, I guess you would call David Johnson a re-breakout, Joe Mixon maybe a uh, a tier change. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I, I definitely think that if there's more singing of David Johnson on the Fantasy Footballers podcast, I think we're all in agreement oh, that that can be a good thing. Of course. Uh, so I'm definitely on board with that call. I think, you know, like you said, last year was not even good in finishing inside the top 12. So I'm super excited to see what he can do with that revamped offense for sure. Um, I love the Joe Mixon call. I think he takes a, a big step forward as well. And I also love your call here of just cheating completely and taking like four different running backs of course. <laughs> and saying they're all going to break out. So I love it all. That's a nice way to take a victory lap if you're only right on one of them. Very nice. <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's all planned out. Uh, the other guy that was on this list, by the way, Kenyon Drake. I've talked about him before in the podcast, so I don't have to go into too much detail. But his efficiency last year with the limited touches he got from an awful Andy. I have said on this podcast many times I think he's the worst head coach in the league. I know you guys have your own words for him <laughs> uh, in Adam Gase. He's out of there. Brian Flores from New England is in, and he's bringing Chad O'Shea, the Patriots wide receiver coach, as his OC. They have used pass-catching running backs, obviously, extremely well. Drake is extremely good at that. So I think all three of these guys, who all have pass-catching chops, can find their way into RB1 territory again. I I have my pushback on Kenyon Drake, and I don't... Ooh! I mean, I, I, I'm sure you want some sort of uh, disagreement on the show, so I'll do my best. Um... I have my hesitance. Not Drake is a great talent, and his efficiency numbers are through the roof. In fact, the irony is that I, it reminds me of the efficiency numbers of Lamar Miller when he was a Miami Dolphin before he went off to become a Houston Texan, where everybody just kept saying, oh, my gosh, what would happen if you got gave that guy X amount of carries? And I'm not making the direct comparison to all of a sudden he's going to become Lamar Miller in Houston. But, but my, what I am saying is that I have my fears. Like, I fully expect Kenyon Drake to be – the pass catcher. And last year, 53 receptions, I think it was. Okay, does that go up? Maybe that goes up and that alone brings him into the upper echelon of fantasy running backs. But I don't think any of us expect this team to be uh, incredible this season, an offensive juggernaut this season. Maybe they surprise, but I just wonder. here, And then maybe that's what, what it is. It's more of a wondering. Do NFL head coaches, even the ones not named Adam Gaze, do they believe that he can carry the ball as many times as we, as fantasy owners, want him to? When I've listened to Brian Flores talk about his backfield 
He certainly stopped short of handing it over to Kenyon Drake, speaks highly of Balazs. They didn't spend extra draft picks on running backs. So I guess I just wonder what the real ceiling will be for Drake if he doesn't, you know, how many carries do you expect him to receive, I guess would be a good question. That is a really good question. And I think to your ceiling question as well, I would say he doesn't have the elite running back ceiling that like a Mixon does because I don't think he'll be in the 200 plus carry range. I think he probably ends up around maybe 180 or so, but with 60 or 70 receptions, I think that's still enough to kind of put him fringe RB1. I think that's probably that's probably pretty fair. I, I think I projected him for around 175, so we don't see that very differently. Um, yeah. But I, I do wonder... You know, he seems to become, uh, or he seems to be more often than not lately, a very, very high upside uh, breakout pick. And I, I guess I just don't know what the ceiling's going to be in Miami. And I don't know what's going to happen if he has to suffer through some quarterback tumult. So there are more variables mm. there for him. I can't argue with the film. He looks great. I mean, he's so evasive. He did everything he could possibly do to earn our love, respect, and this pick on this show for sure. I just have this weird uh, hesitancy to to kind of hand him the keys to my fantasy team. Personally, I hope that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. All of our fantasy hopes. <laughs> please, please, please. Uh, I was just going to jump in real quick and say, you know, I definitely agree with kind of what you were saying, Andy, as far as the ceiling. You know, you mentioned Okada. It's the it's the Patriots uh, coaching staff, and while it may not be the offensive coaching staff with Brian Brian Flores not being on the offensive side of the ball when he was in New England. You know, we've seen this now with Matt Patricia in Detroit and saying, you know, maybe running back by committee is the way to go. And if that's the case, like you guys have talked about, the carry count might not be there for Drake. Uh, but hopefully the efficiency stays the same and he can right. build on what, what he did last year. Makes sense. Yep. All right. Uh, Andy, I believe that one of your options is in a similar situation to this group that I cheated on. And I kind of left him out. <laughs> I noticed. I wondered if his name would come up. Yeah, you're talking about Aaron Jones, um, running back, Green Bay Packers, often stifled by Jamal Williams and the RBBC and Mike McCarthy and whatever. Uh, I guess Adam Gaze-like situations that you've had with giving Aaron Jones the ball enough. Um, look, I, I just in love with this guy. I really am. Um, last season from you know mid-November to mid-December, he scored it each and every week. He's been a hyper-efficient five-and-a-half-carry guy last year. And he had some games where it wasn't just, you know, seven carries and broke a big run. I, over the back half of the season, 14, 15, 17, had 17 carries towards the end of the year. And I just believe in the talent and the fact that uh, Matt LaFleur has to recognize it. Now, we'll see what happens, but I want to be a running back attached to Aaron Rodgers. I want to be a running back in Aaron Jones that has the the – sheer talent and ability that we've seen over the last couple of years. I want the opportunity as fantasy owners to enjoy that with some more consistency. And I do think we'll get that this year. Um, you know, it's not always the case. Adam Gaze comes along and says, Hey, I'm going to temper uh, all of you fantasy owners from your excitement and your enjoyment of, of a talent like Kenyon Drake. But more often than not, the talent it just rises. And I believe Aaron Jones will uh, be a value for fantasy owners. I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm going and aggressively trying to acquire him right now in several of my dynasty leagues because I'm just bought in. I mean, this guy might end up as one of the uh, my guy candidates for me this year. I just 
am all in. So somebody talk me off of this Aaron Jones pedestal, or I guess Okada can't because he probably would have mentioned him as well. I absolutely cannot. I love Aaron Jones, so I'll just pass it over to Betts and see if he's willing. Well, I was going to say I, I can't either, but <laughs> Okada is also trying to trying to get Jones in all of his dynasty leagues because he's been trying to trade for him in the league that we play in together, and I own him, and I will not give him up <laughs> nope. uh, because, like you guys, yeah, I am also really high on Jones this year. Like you said, Andy, I just think the talent's going to win out, and when you see those two guys in training camp together, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, hopefully uh, Matt LaFleur sees things as clearly as we do. Uh, maybe we should just all be head coaches. <laughs> yeah, you know, it would make it so much easier. It really would for our fantasy teams. I know. <laughs> yeah, and McCarthy, by the way, just to touch on it quickly, was so bad last year. Not only were they the worst team in the league from an offensive balance perspective, so they ran the ball less than 33% of the time. That was worst in the league. That was the fifth worst in the entire Super Bowl era by any team in any season. It was incredibly Yikes. dumb. <laughs> and this while they had one of the most efficient running backs in the entire NFL. So I don't think there's any way he does not leap up in usage. And if he keeps even close to his efficiency that he had last year, that's going to be massive fantasy rewards. So 100% on board. Bets, swing it back to you. Give us your second breakout guy. Yes, baby, return of the Marlon Mack. Let's go. We have talked about Marlon Mack multiple times on the show, you, myself, and Kent. And I know that we are all super high on this guy. And you might be saying to yourself, well, didn't he break out last year? And you could argue, yeah, he probably did. But what I'm saying here is right now, I think he's being drafted as a high-end RB2. And I think he is legitimately going to finish the season locked and loaded as an RB1. Uh, when you look at what Marlon Mack is running behind but in terms of the offensive line, last season was ranked fourth in offensive line uh, run blocking, according to Football Outsiders. So you love that situation. You've got to love the fact that Andrew Luck is the quarterback. And all, out, all, out, all last offseason, I was talking about how I thought it was going to be a slower start for Andrew Luck because of the shoulder, and now that's not going to happen. So he's going to come out of the gates firing like he did towards the end of the year. The scoring opportunities are going to be there. And I would be remiss if I didn't reference the Ballers Ultimate Draft Kit and some statistics from that on this show with Andy on here. And when you look at you know the Red Zone Report, which is a fantastic tool in the, in the kit, Marlon Mack, 22 rush attempts from inside the 10, better than Joe Mixon, Mark Ingram, and Nick Chubb. But inside the 10, in terms of rushing touchdowns, 8. Only behind Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Derek Henry, and Chris Carson. So... They're going to move the ball. Marlon Mack is going to be a guy that's going to get scoring opportunities, and I love that offensive line. I'm drafting him everywhere I can. Impressive argument, top to bottom. The numbers he mentioned, the words he said, uh, compelling case. I'm uh, totally on board with Marlon Mack. Yeah, there's. you're not going to find any disagreement on this podcast about Marlon Mack, so unfortunately <laughs> he's not one where we're going to get some interesting debate. Uh, uh, all right, Andy, I'll throw it over to you for your second guy. Well, our first wide receiver how exciting yeah i you know i appreciate the opportunity to come on here and um trumpet my love for dante pettis i uh, here's a little secret i really wanted to talk about him uh at our chicago live show tomorrow um as part of our quick question and that that opportunity was stolen from me because spoiler alert 
Jason will be talking about Dante Pettis, and he, he wanted him oh. all to himself. So this is my chance to kind of break it down a little bit um, elsewhere and get it out of my system. Look, I, I just think that Dante Pettis has uh, a number of the, the factors that you want in a breakout candidate. He has got great draft capital, 12th round, or I'm sorry, 12th pick of the second round, flashed on the field. If you watch the film on Dante Pettis, and I encourage anybody out there who doubts uh, the breakout ability of this player, go watch the go watch him play. Go watch the plays he made um, with a myriad of quarterback options and a broken offense and as a rookie and battling through uh, two separate injuries. Go watch him on the field, and I think you'll see what I see, which is a very talented player, big playability. And what more do you want? He's the de facto number one on a Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense. And uh, one of the questions that we were bringing up on the podcast is, look, if there's a young player and you have to project, what is he going to grow up to become? Best case scenario. Dante Pettis is Reggie Wayne to me. Is he mature, grown-up, productive Reggie Wayne? Similar draft capital, similar size, similar 40 time, and no, Jimmy G is not Peyton Manning, but uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of time for Wayne to step out of the Harrison shadow. You know, that was year four, I think, for Reggie Wayne to have his breakout. Pettis, I think, could do it in his second season. I, he's got a little bit more burst than than Reggie Wayne had. Wayne was probably a little faster overall, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. But I think the ceiling for a guy like Dante Pettis, and I, you know, not to overstate it, I think it's an eighty reception, twelve hundred yard year. He is a special player to me. I'd look around that offense and I say, okay, yes, you have George Kittle. You got Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd. Marquise Goodwin taking the top off here and there, but often injured. I just think Pettis has a great opportunity to display um, the skills that I saw in film. And, and it's nice when the camp reports are at least, look, you can't buy everything the coaches and, and beat writers say, but you like when they're not saying negative things about a player and it's all positive for Dante Pettis, the injury recovery. So he is firmly one of my favorites heading into the new year. Uh, I personally am a big fan of Dante Pettis, Andy. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of Debo Samuel. So this one is a hard receiving core to project for me. I don't know if there will be necessarily a de facto wide receiver one, which I think is actually the words you use. I'm, I'm curious to see how it pans out. And I don't expect Debo as a rookie to necessarily be, you know, a hundred target guy or anything like that. So I think the majority probably does still definitely go to Pettis. But yeah, I'm a I'm a fan. I think Jimmy G is going to take a step forward, uh, and I think that means with Dante Pettis' step forward as well, they can combine for a large step forward from a fantasy standpoint. I like this guy a lot, and I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be able to bring the best out of both of those guys because when you look at the quarterback play last year, obviously C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins are not Jimmy Garoppolo. So when you look at what he did last year with those two guys at the helm, I don't know how it can't take a step forward this year. So I, I definitely like that breakout call there. Um, I think he's going to, to you know, make himself the one there in that offense in terms of the wide receiver core. Obviously, George Kittle, Kittle is going to get his, but there's going to be plenty of room for Pettis to eat in this offense as well. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the last breakout here, and it is another receiver. This guy is a guy, I don't, I don't know how much I've talked him up on this podcast, but if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I love him. It's Cooper Cup. I love Cooper Cup. If you ask me, Matt, <laughs> Okada, whatever you call me, who is your favorite player in the entire NFL? 
I would say, well, it's Tom Brady. But if you ask me who my second favorite is, I would say, <laughs> well, it's Kyler Murray. But if you ask me who my third favorite is, I would say Cooper Cup. Listen, I've been to Rams training camp a couple times, including Cup's rookie season. And I remember the first time I got there, watching Jared Goff chuck balls up in to the middle of the field, two feet above everyone's head, and just trust Cooper Cup to go up and get it. And Cooper Cup would go up and get it. And that was the beginning of what I think is one of, could still be, and I think already is to a degree, one of the best red zone, especially connections, but just wide receiver quarterback connections that we're going to see in this league. Cooper Cup is an absolute monster in the red zone. He's great in the intermediate range. And people get caught up on the fact that they have Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. And how can they have three really productive guys? Listen, Last year when Cooper Cup was healthy, they were all extremely productive. But Cooper Cup was actually the most productive. So here's a, here's a few quick numbers for you. Among all wide receivers with 50-plus targets last year, he had the third most fantasy points per target in the entire league behind Tyler Lockett and Mike Williams. Obviously, having a lower target count helps with that just because of sample size, and you see it in those two guys. But we also know how efficient those guys were, and one of the keys to that, especially for Mike Williams, was touchdowns. Cooper Cup is going to keep scoring touchdowns. He is a absolute beast in the red zone, and part of it, a lot of it actually, comes from the way that Sean McVay uses him. That There's possibly not a better coach-receiver combo as far as, as far as, just as far as, scheming guys open in the entire NFL. If you watch tape, there are times when Cooper Cup just finds his way on some sneaky little thing across the field and ends up with nobody within 15 yards, catches the ball and runs for another 40. So I love the system here. I love Sean McVay's ability to use Cup. I think Goff is going to take a step forward. And listen, I'm not saying these are going to be the numbers, but if you look at his seven healthy games last year. So in week six, he got injured and went out very early in the game. So we throw that out. His seven healthy games last year, he was averaging 19 fantasy points per game and was on a pace, a full season pace, for 90 catches, 1,300 yards, and 14 touchdowns. I don't think that's too unrealistic. The catches might be a little high, but the touchdowns are 100% within his reach. He's one of the guys I could see getting double-digit touchdowns in this league. So I love me some cup. Before we let Andy talk about it, I want to hear bets because I feel like you might have something to say from an ACL standpoint, bets. Yes, and this is where I'm going to tell you to pump the brakes a little bit. I, I, I still love cup. I think he's going to have a fantastic second half of the year. But when you look at the calendar and when his ACL injury occurred, um, off the top of my head, I want to say week 8 or week 10. Those are the two weeks coming to mind. Um, you can find those details in, of course, the Ultimate Draft Kit. But the issue there is, you know, it's going to probably take at least a month, maybe a month and a half before he really is back to full speed. And the other problem with that is that these uh, these Rams players and the starters specifically don't really do much when it comes to preseason games. So if, if they have a slow preseason, you don't really know what he's going to be doing coming off the ACL. I love him second half of the year, but I think it's the first half of the year slow. Andy? That makes me sad, so maybe you can bring me back some joy. What are your thoughts on Cooper Cup? Well, I, I'm afraid that the entire time you were giving the compelling and awesome, totally believable case for Cooper Cup, all I wanted to do was throw it over to uh, Betts and hear the injury breakdown because 
that's my concern as well. It's not that, you know, is Cooper Cup going to have an illustrious and wonderful career? Is he hyper-talented? Sure. But what does that onboarding process look like for the upcoming year? Because this is not a team, I, I at least that I believe when looking at this roster, has to force Cooper Cup to be something he can't be early. They have weapons outside of him. So, you know, I, I don't know what that means for fantasy owners from a draft perspective, but I have my – I feel like it's going to take a few weeks. Yeah. Definitely fair. All right. That is going to be it for the breakouts. So let's move on over to slightly more negative outlooks. These are the busts. You are the chosen one! Oh. <laughs> According to drafters, these guys are the chosen ones. According to us, they are not. Uh... Andy, let's start it off with you. Give us your number one bust. Oh, everybody loves uh, this topic, right? We love to bring guys down and and limit them before they even get their chance to do anything for us. Um, I know I agree with one of Betts's busts, but let's start with let's start with an easy one. We'll call it a softball, but maybe not for everybody out there. I want to bring up Kareem Hunt's name because I want to get the PSA out there for not drafting Kareem Hunt. I think it is a tempting proposal for a lot of people who have name recognition and know that Kareem Hunt is a very talented player, which he is. He's uh, one of the best running backs we've seen on the field for the past couple of years. But the value that you receive for Kareem Hunt will not meet the sacrifice your roster has to make to put him on, at least in my opinion. He's got an eight-game suspension. You've got a bye week mixed in. Are you going to be able to lock a roster spot up with a suspended player for 10 weeks while you're fighting through, you know, all of the roster decisions that you have to make? And, you know, I see Kareem Hunt go in a number of mock drafts because people want to try to grab him late and save him and store him and stash him for great days later. Well, Nick Chubb is not a pushover. Kareem Hunt does not get the keys to the Lamborghini in week 11 either. So, it's just one of those situations where I'd like to get the word out there that, you know, we're talking about a fantasy football bust. Maybe he is a great player for the totality of the Browns' success and offense, but for me, Kareem Hunt is a full-on no draft. Uh, all right, so I, I I'm going to say two things to this, Andy. Number one is, if you happen to be in a league, and this is just you know, it's not everyone is like this. In fact, you shouldn't be. But some leagues allow you to put suspended players on your IR spot. So just check that. Because if you can do that, then that would be pretty sweet. Makes a big difference. Huge difference. It yeah. does. Huge difference. As far as just the call of bust in general, assuming you can't do that, which most leagues you should not be able to and cannot, I, I generally agree with this, that you should not draft Kareem Hunt overall. Because in most redraft leagues, your bench is not going to be very deep. I will say this. If you happen to have, you know, seven bench spots, six, seven bench spots, I don't mind it too much because I do think, and you kind of touched on the point that he won't get the keys to the Lamborghini. He may not get the keys to the Lamborghini, but he kind of is a Lamborghini himself. So that helps. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I am of the the mindset that they and they got him for a reason and that what they'll want to do is have his fresh legs and his incredibly talented running back ability 
to slide into their lineup and use in a mix with Nick Chubb. I don't. I think that most people would believe that Chubb will still be the absolute lead back and Kareem Hunt will be complimentary or maybe play a pass-catching role. Maybe Duke Johnson will be gone by then. I don't really know if that will happen. I don't know if I can believe that would happen just because of how good Kareem Hunt is with the ball in his hands. So I don't disagree with Andy that in a pretty typical league, you should not draft him because you don't want to clog that bench spot. You're going to want to drop him after week two to pick up a waiver guy, and it's going to be the right choice. If you have an extra spot or two, though, I don't mind it too much. Bets, which side do you fall on? Do you fall somewhere in between? What do you think about Hunt? No, I'm in the camp of don't draft him. I just don't think it's worth a roster spot. Um, will he have productive days later? Maybe, but maybe not, because there's also a decent chance that Nick Chubb just takes his momentum from last season and just explodes in the early part of the season and doesn't really give up much work in that backfield. Because if the Browns are as good as we're all hoping they're going to be, let's say they're um, two or three games above 500 once Kareem Hunt comes back, are they really going to change things up a ton if it's already working? I don't think they do. And when you think about fantasy football, I mean, you can't play for the playoffs in the first part of the season or even at the draft, let alone. So I say, you know, don't waste the roster spot. You're going to need it for injuries. You're probably going to need it for dropping someone to pick someone up to stream. So uh, for me, I'm definitely not drafting Kareem Hunt. All right. I will take the mantle here because one of my busts is Kareem Hunt's teammate. And that's Jarvis Landry. Wide receiver, now of the Cleveland Browns, formerly of the Miami Dolphins, Listen, back in his Miami days, Landry was one of the most consistent PPR receivers on the planet. He would get 150-plus targets. He would get 100-plus receptions without fail, possibly the number one lock in the whole league to do that. And he would produce for you in PPR. But it's not looking like that's going to be the case this year in Cleveland. So just looking quickly back at last year, he started off looking actually pretty good. But when Freddie Kitchens took over the offensive coordinator role because Greg Williams took over the head coach role because Hugh Jackson was fired. Landry fell off a cliff. He went down to in the games under Freddie Kitchens as OC. And for those of you who need the reminder, Freddie Kitchens is now the head coach. He went down to 6.9 targets a game, four receptions a game, scored two touchdowns in those eight games that are under Freddie Kitchens and averaged just under 13 PPR points a game which is around wide receiver 30 range. He's getting drafted above there right now in the wide receiver two range. And they added Odell Beckham Jr. They went out and got not only one of the best wide receivers in the entire National Football League, but one of, at least so far in his career, the biggest target hogs in the entire National Football League when he's on the field. There is no way that OBJ is not getting 140 plus targets, and I would probably put him higher than that. And I don't think with, A, how good this team is going to be, which is surprisingly good, that they're going to be throwing it enough to support a multiple 120-plus target guys. And, B, I just don't think necessarily that Freddie Kitchens sees the usage of Jar Jarvis Landry the way he was being used back in Miami as very effective. And considering the yards per reception that Landry got back then, which were terrible, it's not a bad call. So I think he falls well below 130 targets, which he has not done since his rookie season. And if he falls down into the 110 range even, which is probably around where I would put him, 110, 115, with his typical yards per reception, that is not going to be enough to justify his draft cost right now. So I am very off Jarvis Landry. Andy, I'll throw it over to you. 
Disagree, agree. How do you feel? No, I think I predominantly agree with you. He's one of our busts in the ultimate draft kit. I don't, it's such a difficult thing because I feel like it disrespects the player when we call him a bust uh, mm. at times because he's not any less Jarvis Landry than he's always been. He's probably more. But what made him valuable or effective in fantasy is exactly what you said. It was the volume. It was the quantity of targets. And even last year in a year when you would have thought, hey, as the uh, the only veteran talent around, you would have thought for, that Baker might have force-fed him. Didn't really happen. Definitely not going to get force-fed in an OBJ offense. He'll have his games without question. But, um, you know, he's not a high yards per catch guy. So I, I, I tend to agree with, you know, most of what you're saying. Yeah, for me, I mean – I definitely hear what you guys are saying for sure, but when you look at, I mean, Jarvis Landry as a talent in the NFL, he is extremely good at what he does. And no, it's not, you know, 60-yard receptions downfield. Um, It's 5-8 to downfield. But in this offense, that might be a consistent part of it. And when you look at what the the coverage is going to do in terms of Odell Beckham Jr., if you have two options, are you covering Odell or are you covering Jarvis? You're covering Odell. And I think Jarvis Landry is going to just chew up nickel corners like he's done throughout his career. And with Baker Mayfield, who is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football history, coming into the league, I actually like Jarvis Landry this year. I think he's he's due for a wide receiver two season, especially now that he'll be able to move back into the slot. Um, I think last year was kind of more of a reach for him, and they tried to make him a one, and he just isn't that. So now playing alongside his best friend, I think he'll be fine there as a wide receiver two, and I like him a lot in fantasy. Here's a question for you really quick. Do you see any concern for the hot, shall we say, personalities of Landry and Beckham and Baker but causing problems with the way that any of those guys gets fed? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like a guy like Odell Beckham, who, yes, he's going to command the ball, and yes, he's going to command the spotlight. I think the two of those two guys, I mean, if they are truly best friends, I don't know. If I was playing football with you, Okada, I would want you to do well, and I would hope that you would want me to do well. So I, I hope that that's, a fair point. that's how they do this thing. I, I don't think it's going to be that way. I, and honestly, I think those like drama queen um, narratives that are out there for uh, Odell, I think are a little bit overblown. Fair. Fair enough. All right. Good to have some, some pushback there. Okay. We got one more bus each. We'll run through them somewhat quick because everybody's got places to be. Andy, give us your last bust. All right, well, I maybe this is vindictive, but I'm going to formally retreat forever from Corey Davis. Um, you know, I think the name, the hype, the potential, the draft capital, the flashy games here and there, and some of the... <laughs> uh, <I'm, laughs> I apologize, gentlemen. Uh, it is only in footballers' headquarters where mid... Uh, guest spot i find jason moore crawling into the corner of the studio uh <laughs> trying to scare me mid-interview now he's waving and walking away oh my God. um and he i just can't not laugh at that my goodness um <laughs> he's hard at work over here so <laughs> sure returning to the table here um Corey davis got everything he could possibly want from an opportunity perspective last year he was one of the league leaders in total target percentage for his team and it's just not going to happen for Corey Davis I am uh, formally retiring him from my drafts 
uh, on into the future. Maybe he has a game here and there. Maybe we see a career resurgence from Marcus Mariota. But, you know, A.J. Brown, love the guy. Delaney Walker's return, other opportunities. The target percentage is going to go down. And Corey Davis wasn't able to do enough consistently to woo me. I wanted it to happen. It didn't happen. So I'm uh, pouring one out for Corey Davis. Yeah, I don't think anybody's sad that you're doing that. I mean, I guess there were some Corey Davis truthers. Certainly, I'm not sad that you're doing that. I am curious if you believe this little in Corey. Where do you have A.J. Brown as far as a rookie ranking standpoint? I want to be very clear that I think very little of the Tennessee Titans passing offense. Very fair. So so I don't have – I think A.J. Brown in over the, the course of, you know, a few years, this was not the draft we wanted for some of these rookie – wide receivers. No. Um, you know, Hollywood didn't get to see Hollywood go <laughs> a place that I was happy. So it, it's, it's going to be a little bit tough. They're going to have to find their footing and the consistency. I don't think is going to be there for those offenses. I don't think we're going to see a rejuvenated passing offense in Tennessee. Um, one that began transitioning to a, you know, run heavy wonder what we have in Mariota Derrick Henry-led offense, defense that looks really good to me on paper. So do I like A.J. Brown, the talent? Yes. Do I feel like he is more of just more mud for the water in Tennessee's passing game? Probably. Mm. Glad to hear you say that. We've had a lot of A.J. Brown truthers on the podcast lately. I'm not about that. Betts, uh, any strong feelings about Corey Davis or A.J. Brown? Well, you mentioned no one's sad about this, and I would argue I am actually quite sad about this. Oh. I, I used to be a Corey Davis truther, and unfortunately with how Marcus Mariota has played in his NFL career, I think you have to kind of come to the realization that um, it's now or never for Mariota. If he doesn't perform this year, he's definitely gone. And when you look at you know the weapons that are there now, I, I do think they're going to spread the ball out. But in a low-volume passing attack, it's hard to really latch on to one of those guys. I think it's still it's, it's tempting to take him when you see his – his face and his name on your draft board in like round eight or nine, but I'm going to do everything in my power to not hit the draft button because I do think it's going to be a rough season for him. And if they truly do give Derrick Henry the workload that they're talking about, um, you have to wonder really what kind of production there can be for Mariota and his receivers. Yeah. A hundred percent there. Okay. I have a question for you, Betts. Hit me. On a scale of one to 10, what is the likelihood that I skipped you in the first round of busts? Uh, 10 being the most likely 10. <laughs> All right. You've got two guys. Give us both really quick and we will each react to one of them. How about that? Yeah, I'll just keep it super simple for these guys. We talked about it with Cooper cup and it's two players coming off of ACL injuries, Darius Geis and Will Fuller. Um, I'll start with Will Fuller because I think he's probably, um, less important in terms of fantasy draft capital. I believe Geis is going well ahead of him. And for Fuller, you know, we have this history of hamstring and ACL now injuries in his injury history. And for a guy like Fuller who wins downfield at top end speed, that's when hamstring injuries happen. You combine the fact that the hamstring is stressed a lot more after an ACL injury, and I think it's a recipe for disaster for Will Fuller. There's no way he plays 16 games, in my opinion, this season. So I'm definitely off of him. And then in terms of Darius Geis, um, he's currently being, in the, being drafted in the fifth round. And... There's so many other guys I would rather have in front of him because I know what they're going to do. Darius Geis has never played a down in the NFL, and he's now coming off of an infection from an ACL injury. Um, I just don't think that it's going to be there for him this season. Do I like Geis' talent? Yeah, sure I do. 
But when you look at the, the offense there as a whole and the fact that it's going to be a slow start for Geis, I just don't think you can draft, draft him this year. I would be off of him until 2020, personally. Andy, Geis going in the fifth, Fuller going in the seventh. Do either of these guys kind of interest you a little bit, or are you more with bets that they're both busts at those ranges? Yeah, I I would love Fuller later if I want to take that shot. I mean, he's been so hyper-efficient in the games that he's played with Deshaun Watson. Uh, you love seeing that, but I'm a big Kiki QT fan. Yes. And I'm definitely out on – I'm out on Geis for this season. I mean, it, it's just – my argument is basically that. This is not going to be the year that it happens for Darius Geis. And, um, you know, another spoiler alert, our Chicago Live show tomorrow, we're doing um, a breakout and bust pick, and Geis is going to be my bust pick tomorrow. There's just too many things, too many factors that I don't want to try to hope my way through. And, look, we all want to because, I mean, Betts even said it. He's a very talented player. I think that he he will have his day in the sun. I just don't see it being this year with Thompson, Adrian Peterson, and uh, an offense that's probably going to sputter, probably going to change quarterbacks. I just um, I just am out on Geist this year. I think people want it to happen so badly. He flashed so much in the preseason, but I can't do it. I can't do it. So uh, Fuller would be the one that if he dro- dropped farther maybe, but um, no, i probably sit sit to the sideline on both. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty on board with kind of the outlook on both of those guys that you gave. Um, Guys, no thank you. Will Fuller, I will say this, in the seventh round where he's going now, if I start with a couple good wide receivers, strong, consistent wide receivers, and I manage to cover my running backs, and I'm feeling good with a consistent floor throughout my starters by the time I get to the seventh round, which is believable with your first six picks, I'm I'm a kind of willing to take Will Fuller there because I think he's a guy that if he can't, he, if I have two receivers ahead of him and he doesn't end up being a useful wide receiver three, either because of injury um, or because he just never pans out the way we hope or never bu- uh, breaks out like we hope, I don't feel too bad. I think there are other receivers I'll, I'll have available for my wide receiver three or flex spot throughout the rest of the draft. But he does have the upside to be a wide receiver two for me and give me incredible flex potential. So it, depending on the start, I'm pretty interested in Fuller even there. If I don't feel confident, though, in my receivers, he's definitely not the kind of guy I would go for. I would much rather have a DJ Moore, uh, Allen Robinson, maybe even Christian Kirk going in that range. So Just to jump in real quick, I think what is what is compelling about Fuller is I don't think he's going to end the season where a seventh-round pick belongs. And I guess a better way to say that would be he's either going, going to be hmm. – the Will Fuller we've seen in the past, or he's going to be, you know, he's going to wash out and you're going to drop him. That's why I'd be more excited about the eighth or ninth round than the seventh. But um, I do agree there's a lot of upside if you got yourself covered. All right. I will close us out with a final bus here. And it's by far the biggest name on this list. You know, I like to go big. It's Le'Veon Bell. We've talked about it before in this podcast. I've talked about it before in length. So I don't have to give you too much of the background, but he, this team and this running back, and this coach are not going to mesh well. I I just promise you guys that this is going to be a mess. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Adam Gase is awful. He finds a way to dislike players that are good and then misuse them as a result with his strange, vindictive dog housing <laughs> that he does. 
Um, and we already know he doesn't like the signing of Le'Veon Bell. We'll see how he feels about him on the field or in person. But I just I think there's a decent chance that he spreads the ball around in between those running backs there, which there are some capable guys, and they even brought back Bilal Powell, uh, to the point where Bell is not getting the workload that we're so used to him getting back when he played two years ago and before, before he sat out a full season, which, by the way, is a big problem. I'm sure Betts could tell you you got to be in football shape to play football. I, hopefully he's gotten there by working out, but sitting out a full year, we don't typically see that pan out very well. It sounds like it might be nice. You get your a body a rest or whatever, but you have to get back to tip-top shape quick. I don't feel confident about that. And then this offensive line, not good. That's saying it kindly. They uh, There's a yards before contact stat, which kind of gives you an idea typically of whether that offensive line is just letting guys break through and hit the running backs in the backfield. They allowed 1.8 yards per contact for their running backs last year. That was the worst in the entire league, 32nd, which means guys are going to get hit in the backfield. And with Le'Veon Bell, his running style is to dance back there while he waits for a very capable offensive line to, to open up holes and then take massive holes that other running backs might have missed by charging into the line in the first place. That's not going to work with this line. I am really, really concerned about his potential this year. I've said that I have him going towards the back end of my RB2s. He's certainly not in the RB1 conversation for me. So I know this is kind of hot of a bust. Betts, you, you've talked about it before with me, so I'm interested in getting Andy's take. How do you feel about Le'Veon Bell? The case for Le'Veon Bell all revolves around volume. So if if this is a situation where you believe that the the tumult and the struggles of the, of the offense will impede on Lev Bell's volume, then it's a compelling case. I I don't know if look that's a lot of money he got paid. He got paid a lot of money. Oh yeah. And I look it's it's concerning if you think the head coach doesn't want him there, but he got paid so much. And there's only so many players that get the kind of uh, rushing plus passing game volume. So I, I view him as, you know, maybe that the old Lev Bell ceiling isn't there. I can concede that. But I just don't know how this guy doesn't end up in the top, you know, 12 to 15 running backs at worst with the level of volume they're going to have to give him. Well, that's kind of where I sit. And um, I can tell you that around footballers headquarters, there's been rumblings of a Lev Bell bust case from from other hosts on this show. So. It's certainly in the minds of fantasy owners, but I'm not there yet. Betts, uh, you more around the 12 to 15 range with him? Yes, I think it's right about there. I think I have him just outside RB1 territory, so I'm not quite as down on him as you. Um, but before we kind of wrap the show up here, we just got to be a little bit nicer to the Jets, Okada. The footballers would say they're <laughs> 32nd best in the NFL oh, <laughs> in offensive <right>. line <laughs> blocking. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be rough behind that line. And the thing that does worry me is just – it's just the fact that, like you said, he hasn't played for a year. I mean, there's so many variables. I'd rather just be safer with someone else because you have to draft him either round one or two. I'd rather not miss on that draft pick for me personally. Are you guys drafting Dalvin Cook over Le'Veon Bell? Yes, for yes, me. Yes, I am. Yep. Both of you. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Got to do my research, you know. Oh, yeah. What about Nick Chubb for both of you? Nick Chubb or Le'Veon Bell? Chubb. Yeah, for me, it's Bell. For me, it's Bell. I, I – uh, Got him ranked higher, and I guess the question marks around Chubb's hyper-efficiency in the big plays and whether he gets the rock all season long probably put Lev a little higher. But, you know, um, man, I guess if it goes south, it could go south quick. 
Definitely. All right. Andy, a bell believer. We'll allow it. Uh, we, we appreciate you coming on the show, Andy. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Um, you both do incredible work, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it was great having you on. Good show. Um, really quick, just kind of wrap it up for our listeners where they can find you uh, as far as Twitter and the ballers. Um, what's going on over there with the live shows and whatnot. Is, uh, is there still tickets people can get? Yeah, the L.A. show is sold out, but we have five cities that we're doing. Chicago is um, actually, I don't know when this this podcast is going live, but Chicago is Friday, June 21st, and then we'll be in New York the following week. We'll be in San Francisco in middle of July and L.A. in the beginning of August and then uh, Phoenix right before the season starts. All that information, if you want to come see the show, hang out, ask fantasy questions, uh, it's a live podcast show, so you can get those tickets at BallersLive.com, and then um, you know you can learn more about our show and everything we do over at TheFantasyFootballers.com at the FF Ballers on Twitter. So that ought to do it. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, to all our listeners, go out, leave a, a rating review if you're so willing. If you enjoyed Andy's time here, go follow him, obviously. Follow us at RetrosFFPod. Follow me and Bets. You should know where to find us. And uh, we will see you next time. Until then, we are the Red Shirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.